this is not just a personal practice. Even when you're sitting alone at home, you're sitting with everybody. You're sitting with everything. You're sitting with all beings. My teacher has called this Zazen, the Samadhi of all beings. Everybody you've ever known is part of what is happening on your seat in some way, and we can't possibly track. So we are connected, deeply connected. And the point of meditative awareness and settling and opening and awareness and awakening is not just to become some virtuoso meditator and realize some uh, wonderful uh, understanding of reality. I mean, that's, that's fine and that can happen. But then how do we share this in the world? How do we become beings in the world who can then offer something from this awareness? Tygen Dan Layton is a Soto Zen priest and Dharma successor in the lineage of Shunru Suzuki Roshi. He first studied Buddhist art and culture in Japan in 1970 and began formal everyday Zazen and Soto practice in 1975 at the New York Zen Center with Kondo Nakajima Roshi. He moved to San Francisco in 1978 and began to work full-time for the San Francisco Zen Center in 1979. Tigan was ordained in 1986 by Reb Anderson Roshi. From 1990 to 1992, he practiced in Kyoto, Japan, translating Dogen with Shohaku Okumura Roshi. Tigan has taught widely at the university level both in the United States and Japan, and has authored or translated 19 books and numerous articles. Today, he lives on the north side of Chicago with his wife, and serves as the guiding Dharma teacher for Ancient Dragon Zen Gate Temple. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice as well as your life off of the cushion. I am your host, Ian White-Marr. This podcast is sponsored by the Providence Zen Center a residential Buddhist community in Cumberland, Rhode Island. The Providence Zen Center provides opportunities for short and long-term residency and holds retreats from one day to three months. For more information, please visit ProvidenceZen.org. So, Tygen, I wanted to start with a quote um, from one of your books, from the, from the book Zen Questions. And uh, this is what you said. What are we doing in Zazen? All practitioners have some question there behind your, your wanting to engage in this Buddhist meditation. What question has led you to face the wall, looking into what is this? There's a question that we each have to explore. And I'm wondering if you can start by, by talking about your question. What, what brought you on this journey? Is it the same question? Or, or? Well, I think there are many, many questions. And um, a good question will lead to other questions. And the point of practice is not to get an answer, but to sit uh, with some steadiness right in the middle of the questions of how do we live our life and how do we respond to the world and to each other, 
so I could say for myself, uh, maybe the question I had in my early teens was um, informed by existentialism and uh, the, the question really, what's worth, what is there worth doing? Uh, it's funny now because I have more things to, to do than I can than I can do actually. But at that point, I felt like there was nothing worth doing, and this was. This was this deep existential question that didn't lead me directly to uh, Zen, but I think it was what what was part behind uh, my searching. That uh, you know, eventually, uh, when I went to Japan in 1970, I uh, was blown away by the Buddhist art and imagery and the Bodhisattva statues and so forth. And then uh, several years later, uh, had Zazen instruction with. Uh, Nakajima Sensei, we called him, uh, at the New York Zen Center on the Upper West Side, uh, and a very fine Soto priest, Japanese Soto priest, and uh, have been sitting Zazen every day since. And uh, part of what <clears throat> Nakajima Sensei talked about all the time was teaching from Dogen, and so that went together with Zazen. But really, what did it for me, and it sort of was the first time I said Zazen, was that I felt this sense of wholeness is the best way I can say it, that somehow everything is okay and that in spite of all the problems, personal and in the world and, and in reality, uh, there was some way in which just doing that this practice of Zazen made it all whole, made it all possible. So that was, that question was maybe my, my own um, first uh, impelling to practice, but of course, many questions come up in our life, and there are immediate questions of, you know, things that are happening this week or whatever, but there are also uh, the deeper questions, and again, sometimes answers come, or sometimes responses come, but the point isn't to solve all of the questions, the point is to be able to work with uh, the life of questioning and inquiry and uh, paying attention in this deep uh, physical way. So um, I think you know my, uh, my teacher's teacher, Shunri Suzuki Roshi, used to say, what is the most important thing? And part of questioning is finding one's in, intention, but it's also not necessarily the one most important thing. What, what is important? What is it that we care about? And so in my teaching, I try to uh, encourage people to find what is important to them and what do they care about and to express um, that in their everyday activity. How does practice help somebody find what's most important to them? Through patience, <laughs> because, you know, it takes a while. It takes it takes regular, uh, the way I see Zazen, it takes regular uh sitting, um, if not every day, several times a week at least, just facing the wall and facing oneself and being present in the middle of that. Um, so it's not about reaching some particular uh, state of, I don't know what, enlightenment, awakening, whatever. Um, it's actually, uh, and this goes back to Dogen teaching, it's, it's about uh, this ongoing practice Dogen says that Buddhas do not wait for awakening. Um, one of my favorite sentences from Dogen is just experience the vital process 
on the path of going beyond Buddha. So uh, Shakyamuni Buddha, the historical Buddha, didn't stop practicing when he became the Buddha. He continued practicing and awakening every day. And so this ongoing attention to our life requires patience, requires steadiness. Part of doing regular zazen practice is settling into a space of awareness, um, steadiness, concentration, but also opening into uh, uh, a kind of uh, spacious awareness, an awareness that allows uh, flexibility and uh, new options for responding. One of the things that I I enjoyed in in some of your writing was, um, you know, you talk about this sort of spaciousness. um, I mean, you just referenced the spaciousness, but also you, you talk about this embodiment as well, this sort of physical presence. And I'm wondering how you see the awareness uh, that comes with uh, practice uh, translating into sort of the physical awareness of the body and and really also how we move through the world. Yeah, I think that's uh, a key part of the tradition that's called Soto Zen that, that goes back to Dogen in Japan in the 1200s and Dongshan, Chinese teacher in the uh, 800s in, in China, there's a kind of consistency to it. Dogen especially, though, emphasizes expression. So our practice is not about reaching some, it's not about getting high, it's not about reaching some state of exaltation. That happens, in fact, that's part of the practice. But then how to integrate that meditative awareness of wholeness, as I put it, or uh, just a deeper sense of the uh, wildness of reality and the inconceivability of reality, how to, how to integrate that into a particular phenomenal world, a, a particular uh, everyday activity. So, uh, you know, one example from Japanese tradition is uh, chado, a tea ceremony, as, as we call it, uh, just a, uh, a practice that was informed by uh, then uh, people in, in, in the monasteries, but that was uh, about something as simple as making a cup of tea and serving it to someone. So how do so all of the forms that we have in our um, in in the temple and uh, in, in in the Zen monastic forms and so forth are just mindfulness tools to help us bring our awareness into expression in everyday activities. But you also seem to link the awareness of the everyday activities to sort of right living or right um, behavior in the world. You've written quite a lot about engaged Buddhism. And I'm wondering if you can make the link for me uh, between the awareness that comes from sitting through the, through understanding the body, through moving the, uh, through the, through the world. And then to this, you know, what, what is this? <laughs> that's happening um, around us, you know. I, yeah, yeah, well, I right. actually, you know, I, I want to read this quote. I really liked this quote. Uh, it was from an article um, uh, you wrote that said, "We must not ignore our karma, both our personal and our collective societal karma. We must recognize cause and effect in all in all times, and how we are related to to those things." Recognizing our particular limitations, including our abilities as well as our shortcomings, is how we face reality. 
And I just, I liked that because I feel like there's so much, uh, there's so much time that we spend on the cushion, but to me, there's part of this life of, you know, leaving the cushion and, you know, why are we doing all this practice? (laughs) It must be for the rest of our lives. And I'm just wondering if you can make that for me. Yeah, sure. It's, that's key. Uh, so, of course, the practice of just sitting or zazen uh, is transformative individually, personally. We uh, part, part of what's most difficult uh, to do zazen is not getting your legs into some funny position, but right. to see to see over and over again these habits, these personal habits of grasping and anger and frustration and confusion and fear and so forth, and to get become intimate with them. So there's this personal aspect of learning how to not act out based on those things, not uh, acting out from your uh, your desires or from your anger and frustration, but to actually see, know your own stuff so that you can respond without being caught by this. And this is a lifelong practice. It's not that we suddenly figure it, that we at some point figure it out and then it's all fixed. Uh, these things are very deep. But then the other side of that is that this is not just a personal practice. Even when you're sitting alone at home, uh, it's uh, you're sitting with everybody. You're sitting with everything. You're sitting with uh, all beings. Uh, my teacher has called this uh, Zazen the Samadhi of all beings. Everybody you've ever known is part of what is happening on your seat in some way, and we can't possibly track. So we are connected deeply connected and the point of meditative awareness and settling and opening and awareness and awakening is not just to become some virtuoso meditator and realize some you know uh wonderful uh, understanding of reality i mean that's that's fine and that can happen but then how do we share this in the world how do we um, how do we become uh, beings in the world who can then offer uh, something from this awareness. So it, there's this rhythm of practice of turning within. Um, it's one of the classic definitions to take the backward step and turn your light inwardly to illuminate the self. But then also, what do we do when we step out beyond our um, beyond our meditation into the into our world, into the, our relationships, family, friends. Um, uh, and the people around us, our coworkers, uh, and then beyond that, to uh, all the things going on in the world, and it's very obvious that uh, that the world is in difficult shape right now. How do we find a way to respond helpfully to that, not not harm, not causing harm, but helping ourselves and others and each other to um, to be harmonious with the, with each other in the world and to be to respond helpfully even in difficult situations. So Sazazan so is a communal practice. Of course, also that's true when you come to sit at a Zen center or a meditation center or, a, or go to a monastery for a while if you want it to, to get a deeper experience of it. But then always you have to come out. It's not that one goes into the monastery for life. Uh, some people may stay in a residential a practice place for a long time to help others, but then also they're not just uh, retreating into themselves. So 
this natural rhythm is is key to uh, Soto philosophy, going back to Dongshan and the five degrees, and and Dogen especially emphasizes expression of meditation. Uh, so there's this integration that's necessary between our deeper realizations and then how to respond to the particular aspects of the world. And we have the Bodhisattva awakening precepts as guidelines and many other ways of talking about practical teachings in the world, practicing patience is one of the most important, but patience is not a passive practice. Patience is to be present and aware and attentive and to see what's going on in front of us. So Buddhist wisdom is really about what's what is this? What is happening right here? And then how do we see that? And how do we find our own way to respond helpfully? So that was a long response to what you said, but um, yeah, it's uh, and so in my where I teach is a, a storefront temple in Chicago called Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, where right on a busy street uh, near the elevated trains and a busy intersection and. It's quiet inside, and we come and meditate. But my sangha now is uh, people who live in the city who have jobs and families and uh, you know busy urban life, uh, and uh, yet we sit together regularly, and we have monthly day long retreats, and sometimes three days and five day sessions and, and retreats. And uh, so, how to actually be helpful and aware and and then patiently watch for how to do that uh, both both on our on our cushion as we're going through uh, whatever uh, thoughts and feelings have come up and whatever physical difficulties have come up but then also stepping outside onto the street I'm wondering how you can I'm, I'm wondering if you can demonstrate a little bit about how you teach that it's for me maybe it's a bit of a trope i guess to say that american culture is highly individualistic um maybe it's also quite true um but the way that you've talked about this practice um seems to you know to ask people to integrate something that's um counter to what our culture is and I'm wondering how you're able to sort of express that in your teaching when you're working with students about the communal dimensions of it. Um, you know, you have this and nobody can do your meditation for you, but but the experience, I loved that, the samadhi of all beings. Is that, is that what you said, the samadhi of all beings? Yes. That's yeah, right. I, I, that, I loved that. We are deeply connected. Yeah, yeah. And part of it is just to realize that. Right. To realize that we're deeply connected with that Zen, Zazen is not a self-help practice. I mean, it may include that, but it's also about our connection to uh, others and others' connection to us. And But, you know, practically speaking, I, I encourage people to enjoy their Zazen. Yeah. To enjoy, to enjoy in their, your inhale and exhale. To just settle into being present. So the meditation is not about, again, as I've said, not about reaching some particular exalted state, the meditation is to really find a way of being present as oneself in a way that's uh, concentrated, but also open and uh, aware and 
as I said, uh, paying attention. So, you know, Dogen is an example of this, is one of, one of the things about Dogen's writings. They're very, they're very challenging and difficult. Uh, and I encourage, you know, I teach Dogen both in, in, in my practice uh, context, but also academically. But the point isn't to reach some understanding of what he's saying, but that's <laughs> not impossible, but pretty difficult. Uh, the point is to play with our awareness, play with our presence. So uh, Zazen is about enacting Buddha on our cushion. Uh, how do we sit upright like Buddha uh, in, in whatever modificate, modified way we people do in in, uh, in the American context? Uh, it doesn't have to be full lotus and we have people sitting in chairs and so forth. But how do you express Buddha in your body as you're sitting? So that involves enjoying, just enjoying the presence, paying attention to inhale and exhale, and uh, enjoying those. And in Soto Zen, we talk about just sitting. So without trying to, to uh, use any particular techniques, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not about a particular technique. It's about just being fully present. Um, without, and, uh, we could say objectless meditation, no particular object. But practically speaking, I will offer students uh, particular meditation objects in as much as it's helpful and settling. So the first part is just to settle and steady on your seat. So I encourage use of mantras, for example, or listening to sounds, um, or, or counting breaths at the end of the exhale. Uh, and not as something that one has to do, you know, for a whole period or whatever, but just as a way of settling. So um, uh, the, the, the mantra thing that I mentioned, which is probably unusual for most Zen teachers, but I encourage people to uh, use the mantras, the, the traditional mantras in um, Mahayana Buddhism, uh, but also things like uh, sayings from uh, poet, poems or or are uh, popular songs that that help settle and go deeper. One of the mantras I recommend is just how does it feel? Mm. And I sometimes add to be on your own, a complete unknown, like a rolling stone, but you don't need that. Just how does it feel? How does it feel? Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a mantra and a kind of koan too, and I also do use koans, but not in the way that people usually think of as koan practice. It's not about passing through some curriculum. It's about Using the old stories, which Dogen is the master of, he talks about a lot, uh, and, uh, and I talk about the stories of Dongshan and you know the, the whole koan literature. Uh, these uh, I, pick, I, I work with stories that help uh, that have been studied for a thousand years because they tell us something about our own practice. So it's not about solving them; they're not riddles to solve. They're teaching stories that help us see aspects of our own practice. So I use those too. So. Um, again, I don't think it, I think whatever helps is good. I was really struck when I was reading uh, some of your material uh, by your emphasis on play. And you had this great line from one of your teachers who, who recommended to you to, to be wild on your cushion. And then uh, you quoted Suzuki Roshi saying, uh, give your cow a large spacious meadow. And I was just sort of struck by your use of play, um, by my own experience with you know, going into the into the Dharma Hall, where everything 
can feel very serious. You know, people are asked not to move. There's this real form of uh, trying to keep silence. Um, and, you know, you're referring to this sort of wild inner life. And I'm, I'm just yeah. wondering, you know, uh, what, that, what that meant for you when, when that teacher said that, to be wild on your just to, Just to allow um, thoughts and feelings to come up. It's not that we, so we so the, the instruction is not to try and do anything with them, but not to try and get rid of them either. But then um, there's an aspect of how Dogen's Genjo Koan uh, manifesting the important the, the fundamental point is one translation. How that applies to you know the thoughts and feelings coming up, and if you're if you're in the middle of some problem this week or this month or this lifetime, how do you allow that to be there on your pushing and not to try and figure anything out because that's that uh, calculating, deliberating mind gets in the way of deeper awareness. So there's a deeper awareness, a playful awareness that is possible when we really get deeply into zazen, into uh, being present and upright and breathing and sitting. Not, again, not, as you say, not moving, not uh, uh, not speaking, just this deep silence. And, but there's a play to that, uh, and that is uh, just to uh, pay attention. Again, to allow uh, insights come up, and we can allow that. We don't have to figure them out. We don't have to take notes and write them down as we're sitting in the meditation hall. But it becomes part of you. So, uh, how to allow? Uh, you know, one of my favorites and books is Gary Snyder's Practice of the Wild. Mm. So the the wildness is um, supported by the forms. It's like uh, one example is the trellis that a vine grows on. The, the vine doesn't grow in right angles. It, it leans out and then comes back to the trellis and so forth. Our, the, the forms of zazen, the forms of... Um, eating, um, taking meals in the meditation hall, the forms of bowing and chanting and all of those things. We do those, um, but just as ways of being mindful and seeing what is the play that's happening. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's serious, and if you're really serious about something, uh, you, you, you can play with it. Mm -hmm. You have to play with it. There's a play in it. And uh, so this... Um, this practice of the wild, this wildness is part of everything in our lives. We think that we are, we are trained to problem solve and figure things out. And, 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 you know, you can use that, that kind of process in a helpful way. And that's great. But uh, what's deeper is the kind of physical awareness that is a kind of, uh, that, that requires a kind of play that we don't understand. Dogen uh, often talks about the ways, the limitations of human uh, human uh, intellect, and and and, and um, how we can see things, uh, perceptions. But there's a deeper, deeper awareness that is possible. That's that's beyond sitting. That's beyond thinking. That includes uh, just being aware. And it's like we are aware of. Uh, whether a drink is hot or cold, not by thinking about it, but by tasting it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we're aware of our bodies and the air and the meditation hall and so forth. So with this deeper awareness uh, allows some other possibility for our response to the situations of the world and of our own lives. You, you wrote this passage that says, there's a fundamental problem that we separate ourselves from others in the world. The wall and our own breathing. This is what humans do. And we need to be aware and know that we each are not the only one doing so. Human beings get caught in a strange form of alienation from our world. And I I found this passage so powerful, I think in part because there seems to be this larger anxiety, a larger sense of alienation and maybe lack of direction going on, uh, not just in this country, but around the world. And I'm wondering how you see Buddhist practice, Zen practice in particular, really helping with this larger sense of alienation. And, and you know, what, what is our task for this, this anxiety that we're facing? Yeah, well, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge task. Yes. And there's so much, um, difficulty uh, in the world now. And so in our tradition, we sit facing the wall. And it's not that the wall is is there to keep up, keep other people out, people who are different from us, or to keep anyone out. The wall is a kind of mirror to see ourselves. And the wall is a kind of window to see how fundamentally we are deeply connected to everything in the world. People who are being persecuted and, you know, on the borders are not separate from us. The, uh, the Amazon forest and other rainforests provide the oxygen we're breathing. Uh, there's so much, it's not just about humans either. How are we connected to, uh, the world of what we call nature and the environment and all the things that are happening to that? So, uh, how, and how do we respond to that? So, this takes a while, and it's not necessarily something that everybody sees immediately, and that's fine. But the point is, how do we settle into a space where we're open to realizing that actually we're not separate? We are encouraged often in our in our society and in our culture to to see separation and to build walls between us and others, but actually we're we are really deeply fundamentally non-separate, connected. It doesn't mean we're the same. So one has to recognize the particulars of each person, uh, the individuality of each situation. This is why this ongoing practice, going Buddha going beyond Buddha, is, is necessary and important because uh, as we are alive, things are changing. So there are new situations and how do we face them freshly? Uh, my teacher's teacher called this beginner's mind. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Tig and Dan Layton encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more about his teaching through his books. I recommend Zen Questions, Zazen Dogen and the Spirit of Creative Inquiry, or by visiting the website of the Sangha he serves, Ancient Dragon Zen Gate at ancientdragon.org. 
There you can find many wonderful Dharma talks as well as their schedules for weekly practice and sashin. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Provident Zen Center. If you would like to deepen your practice commitment, I encourage you to explore PZC's residential and retreat opportunities. You can find all of that information at ProvidenceZen.org. If you would like some guidance on how to meditate, there are some videos you can watch at ProvidenceZen.org slash videos. My name is Ian Whitemar. I hope you'll join me again next week. Thank you.